0: For the past few months, we've been taking a close look at the book of James, and um, James is not going to disappoint us today. Uh, we are in chapter 3, and this section of his letter, he deals with how we can heal and walk in right relationships. And I know for all of us, this is an area that we all struggle with, and if we look at our lives, we can look back over our lives, and we can see that there's probably a lot of broken relationships, some that were done to us, some things that we said. Um, what, What James is going to do in this part of his letter is he's going to show us how important it is for us to live out what we believe through our behavior. How many of us know that the fun part is coming to church? That's the easy part, right? You got up, you got dressed by... And, and by that I say, you all look marvelous this morning. Everybody looks great. You got up, you had your coffee, or whatever you, your routine is, and you came to church. That's the easy part. The hard part of our Christian living is when things happen in our lives. And we actually have to live out our faith. And what I love about the book of James, is he just tells us, you need to put feet to your faith. If, if you believe all these things about Jesus and what God's word says, then we need to live it out in our daily living. And the way we live it out is when things come against us. How does our life in Christ look when we are tested, when things don't go our way, when there are difficult relationships? James is going to show us today what it truly means to have a blessed and righteous life. I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to be blessed And I'm not just talking about material things. That's not what this is about. What it is about is how do you have a blessed life in Christ and that the result of that blessed life is righteousness. And he's going to show us that it's putting feet to your faith. It's it's living out what you believe. It's how you treat one another. And the hand of God will be upon you. When you follow in his will, and that doesn't mean our life is going to go perfect. That doesn't mean we're not going to have trials. But I know one thing for my life. I want the hand of God on my life. I want to know that God is leading me. I want to know that I'm striving for him and his righteousness. That doesn't mean we're always going to make the correct decisions. But when we understand the spirit of Christ in our life, we will walk in humility. We will recognize our waywardness, and we'll be humble enough to realize when we are wrong and be willing to ask for forgiveness, and forgiveness of others. And it's amazing how the gospel flourishes when we're able to forgive each other, when we're able to offer grace to one another, when we're able to walk in unity within the body of Christ. Listen, the biggest hindrance to the church today is unity. Is this walking together in Christ's love? That doesn't mean we're not going to have different opinions. That doesn't mean we're never going to see eye to eye on things. But are we striving to be peacemakers? Are we striving to keep the unity within the body of Christ by how we behave and how we treat one another? This, oh, this section in James is so good. It's so good. And I, I believe it's so relevant to where we're living today. And so basically what James is, what we studied in James, what James is saying is there's theoretical knowledge and then there's practical knowledge or application. It's one thing to know something. It's a whole other thing to apply it. Now, some may know how an internal combustion engine works. They can give you the whole science behind it. But they may not know how to fix an engine. They may know how it works, but you got to go to a mechanic to get it fixed right they may have the knowledge but they don't know how to fix it and 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 it was interesting when um our our, our one child colby was born he was born in a teaching hospital in south carolina musc the medical university of south carolina and um because it was a teaching hospital uh when we're going in to give birth and it was that time you have all these people every 10 minutes that comes through and ask you questions how are you feeling Blah, 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 blah I'm like, are there going to be more people? I mean, what is going on here? It was like a, just a parade of people coming in and asking questions because it was a teaching hospital. And we had a resident doctor uh, that was uh, young. He was young. I think I was like 27 at the time. He was younger than me, I think. I mean, he was a young resident doctor. And I'm like, okay, is this your first one or what's going on here? And a um, lot of knowledge, great guy, but not a lot of experience. And then we had a nurse. This nurse... She knew what she was doing. She, she delivered uh, babies for over 20 years. So it's interesting watching those two interact because the doctor would come in. He'd look at Kathleen and say, well, you're, uh, this, you're this many centimeters dilated. I think you've got another two and a half hours. And you could see her in the back going, he, she's like, he didn't know what he talking about. So he hasn't done enough yet. So she, she, he leaves and she goes, um, you got 20 minutes <laughs> to a half an hour. And, and so, um, because she, you know why? She asked about a previous birth. She knew the right questions to ask. She was not only knowledgeable, but she was experienced. And so guess what? 20, 25 minutes later, fully dilated. We're calling the doctor. He's rushing in. I'm, I'm like, are you sure you've done some of these before? Can we have a nurse? And she helped. And she was absolutely wonderful. Had a lot of knowledge, but lacked Experience and what James is telling us—the point James is making to us—that we're going to see today. We need to know what we believe absolutely, but are we living it out? If we're not living it out, something is wrong. There's something wrong. Um, There's this great quote, and the reason I'm giving this quote is because I just like the name of this guy. His name was Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. So I'm just saying. Let's bring the name Wolfgang back again. Can somebody name their child Wolfgang? He lived in the 18th century. He was a, he was a, a poet. And he said this. It's so true. We're going to look at today. He said, knowing is not enough. We must apply. Willing is not enough. We must do. Now, great, better name. But this is what Wolfgang says. And this is why it's, it's so true. Because this is the main idea of the book of James. James is saying, listen, you can know all this stuff, but if you're not doing it, something's amiss. There's a disconnect in your relationship with Christ. Just don't be hearers of God's word, but be doers of God's word. So what we're going to look at today, if you've got your Bibles we're gonna, or your, your phones, or you can look at the screen, so we're going to look at James chapter 3, and we're going to look at what is true wisdom. What is true wisdom? And so let, let's define it. This way, true wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. This is what James is going to talk about. Who is truly a wise person among you? So we're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Let's see what the word of God says in James' letter. It says, who is wise in understanding among you? Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by their good life. And we're going to look at what did James mean by good? What do he mean by good life? He says, By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such quote-unquote wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, Okay, would you get to the point, James, of what you really mean there? This is important for us to understand. James wants to get this ac- across to the church. He says, for, for you were, or, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate. Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And I love this in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So let's see what it says here. James main point in this section is wisdom is not knowledge only, but wisdom is evident in our behavior how we're living it out. Wisdom allows us to experience God's truth. So when you hear God's truth, and when you hear the teaching of God's word, and you hear that we are sinners and we've fallen short of God's perfection, that's the truth of God's word. What's hard for us is that when we hear that we are sinners, we don't like to be told that we are wrong or wayward. But when that truth is important to our hearts and we recognize that, yes, I am, a, I am a sinner and we get it and that we see that we're wrong and that we need God's help. Something has gone on in our hearts to make us realize that. What happens is the wisdom that we're seeing in God's truth, once it's applied to our hearts, we realize that the only way to receive that is to have a humble heart. And what James is saying is true wisdom... It's found in humility. It's one thing to hear that you're a sinner and you can walk out the door and say, well, that's not me. That's for everybody else. But when you hear the word and the truth and you apply it to your heart and you take that wisdom, you understand, wait a minute, I have fallen short of God's perfections, mercy and I need his help. That's wisdom. The reason why it's wisdom is because your heart is humbled before an almighty God who wants to restore you and love you And give you a right relationship with him through his son Jesus. Sam Alberry in his commentary says it this way To truly know yourself is to know yourself as someone in need of grace. Wow. That's wisdom. And it, it only it only comes through a heart of humility. That's true wisdom. See, the truly wise person is not the smartest, but the one who is the meekest. The one who sees their need. The one who realizes that I don't have it all together. The one who understands that they need God's grace and and, and his mercy every single day in their lives. So James asks the question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Who are the truly wise people? The ones that get it. The ones that say, capiche, I get it. In Italian, I get it. Who are the truly wise ones? He says, let them show it by how many degrees they have behind their names. No. He says, let them show it by their good life and good conduct. Now, what's interesting here is the Greek word here for good is has a very interesting meaning. Now, let's understand the Greek language a little bit. The, the Greek language, there are many different meanings for, for, for words. I'll give an example. Like, there's many different meanings for the word good. And, and James uses a particular Greek word here for good, and I'm going to define that for you in just a minute. Let me give you an example. Like, like, we see the word love in the word of God. Now, it can be defined different ways in the Greek. There are different Greek words for love. Like, one, one Greek definition of love is agape, which means benevolent or gracious love. There's another word, phileo, which is brotherly love. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. There's different definitions of love. Now, in the English, it's just, it's, it's love, and that's it. So you can be having a conversation with your spouse, and you say, honey, I love you. And then in the same sentence, you can say, and, and I love your cooking. And then look around and see your dog or your cat come, and you say, and I love, I love Fluffy, you know, and I love Rover, right? In the same sentence, you're like, well, do you love Rover as much as you love me? It's like, we don't, we don't have these different definitions, we just have one word, and that's that's love. But in the Greek, we have different meanings. Well, this is the same for the word good. And when you see the word good, we normally define it as the opposite of evil or bad. You're either good or you're bad. However, James uses a different meaning for good. It's the Greek word kalos. And what kalos means is this. The word for good that James uses in this passage for good, the word kalos means beautiful. Beautiful. Now, everybody's like, I feel you're glued on me right now. So everybody track me, those online, follow me here, because this is the whole point. If you miss this, you miss everything. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, is your life something beautiful to look at? Do people admire you? Not because of your smarts. He's not saying that here. He's saying, do people admire you? Do they see that you're beautiful because of the wisdom you're displaying in your life? What makes a life beautiful is not the physical, but what James is saying, what makes your life beautiful? Beautiful. Those that are wise among you will show it by their good deeds. What makes your life beautiful is your humility and your meekness to serve. To love others in spite of themselves. Are we walking in that type of humility and meekness where people look at our lives and they see it as something beautiful? Kalos. Is your life beautiful? Kalos. Now you're all Greek scholars, okay? Is your life Kalos? See, see, it's one thing. Listen, it's one thing to be told that you're a sinner, but when you see it, it becomes reality, and it takes humility to admit that we need help. And it's hard to admit when we are wrong. Think about it. Think about it, and just think about it for a moment. When was the last time that you admitted you were wrong and you apologized for your actions? Wasn't that fun? Didn't you enjoy doing that? But if you haven't admitted that you were wrong or apologized for your, some of your actions in a long time, there may be something wrong. There may be something wrong with meekness or humility in your life. You know, when I was a, a, a teenager and my, and my parents came to Christ, be, they started taking to us to church that really taught and preached the gospel and a relationship with Jesus Christ and what it means to be transformed by the power of Jesus' name to be born again. And, um, you know, I... I would go. My parents would make me go. And they said, we're going to church and you're going to go. And I wasn't a follower of Jesus. And I remember just sitting there week after week and we'd hear people's testimonies of how Christ saved them. And maybe out of a very difficult lifestyle or, or, or maybe some uh, addictive habits they had in their lives. And I remember sitting there as a, as a 14, 15 year old, just thinking to myself, well, those people, they need Jesus. It wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus. It was like, they need Jesus. I don't, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay. It's, I'll sit here and I'll listen and I think it's nice for them. I'm like, good for you guys. Man, if, if if Jesus is helping you, good for you guys. But that's not me. I'm okay. See, what blocked me from truly knowing Christ is realizing that my sin was no different from anyone else's. And until I humbled myself and realized that I have fallen short of God's perfection. And the more I heard the gospel message, the more God kept just "Mm, mm, mm," saying, "Barden, you ain't right. You ain't got it all together, right? You're trying to separate yourself from other people because you feel like you're better than them, but in fact, you aren't. You need me. You need me. And it wasn't until I came to that realization that I needed Christ, that I was a sinner, that i would fallen short of his perfection, is when I, I, I just got it. It was just that truth that I got, and it changed. But if, if, if we come to God with this prideful heart, thinking that we have it all together, we're going to miss that whole meekness, the humility part. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I sat with a friend that I grew up with, and I remember we went out and got a burger, and I remember talking to him, and I really wanted him to come to Christ, and, and I was telling him about my, my changed life and what Jesus did, and he looked at me and said, "Barden, can I just be honest with you? People that follow Jesus, they just need a crutch. And at first I got kind of offended, you know, and I flipped the table on him, and I walked out all mad. No, I'm just teasing, just teasing. I, I remember just being a little offended, like, like really? Yeah. And then I got thinking about him, like, you know what? I do need a crutch. I need more than a crutch. I need everything because I can't do it on my own. You see, what keeps people from knowing Jesus in the fullness that he desires to give to them is our own pride. That we feel like we can do it and that we have it all together. Can I just be completely blunt with you this morning? You are not even promised tomorrow. We don't even know what tomorrow's going to hold. How dare we think that we are more in control than we truly are. And life will always throw us a curveball. And so that, that's where I had to come to the point in my life where my pride was keeping me from knowing this wonderful relationship that God wanted to have me through his son, Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this, and I love this. He says, if you look for yourself... He goes, you will find only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But he says, but if you look for Christ, you will find him and with him everything else. You see, we can't live without Christ. And I can't depend on myself. And I'm not as in control as I think I am. I'm prideful and I want to be in control. But once you realize that you're not as in control as you think you are, it will humble you. And James is telling us that a truly wise person is a humble person that recognizes their need for God and it will will be displayed in the way they live out their lives. So what changed in my heart is I saw that I was a sinner no different from anyone else. Pride kept me from realizing that I needed a Savior and this is humbling and that's okay. Because when you bow yourself before the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He's the one He's the one that restores, that heals, that forgives, that covers, that changes, that transforms your heart. James says, the wise life walks in humility. The wise life serves with humility. This is so good. And I believe... What keeps unity within the body of Christ is when we learn to serve each other the right way. Please, listen to me, don't wear your service as a badge of honor. Stop it. Because what we end up doing is we end up robbing Jesus of the glory that's deserved to go towards him. This is what what James is saying that robs the church and is causing the church that can easily walk in disunity because serving, we serve out of meekness, not anything we deserve or earn. We, we, We serve out of meekness towards one another because of what Christ has done for us. Listen, Jesus came to this earth completely for us at his own expense. He comes... He lays his life down for you and I. He comes not to be served, but to serve. He showed the disciples the way to the heart of God by washing their nasty feet, even the feet of Judas, who was about to betray him. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you'll take the least position. If you want to be great in my kingdom, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. If if you want to be great in my kingdom, then learn to do what I just did by washing your feet. What was Jesus doing there? He was keeping the integrity of the church together. One of Jesus' last prayers is that the world will know that you are my disciples by how you bicker with one another. That's going to be such a good witness by how you fight and bicker and get your own way. What did Jesus say? They're going to know that you're my disciples by how you do what? What what? Love. That's Is that the right answer? I hope it is. You're right. It's love. You're, good, good job. It's either love or Jesus. So one of those answers, you're going to get it right. Okay? And this is what this is what James is saying. This is how you keep love and unity within the body because he said the other way is going to sow discord it's unspiritual and it's demonic so let's get practical here what are the characteristics of humility what does it look like in my life what are the characteristics of someone who truly serves with humility that James is telling us first of all it's a life that serves without the need to be recognized How many of us, when we've done something and we weren't recognized for it, got a little tweaked? Like, how come that person didn't write me a thank you now? Why, why, how come when I did this, I didn't get a thank you? How come when I made the meal, and no one said that? right? Listen, we should encourage one another. I'm not saying we shouldn't. I am so thankful right now as we sit here to right now, we've got ladies in our Nursery that are changing diapers. God bless them. They're going to have an extra jewel in their crown when they get to heaven. And we're all going to have to change diapers. The ones that didn't change diapers. Right? And those that are teaching in children's church right now, can we thank them for, for their service? Amen? For doing it during this time? Absolutely. So we should recognize people. But, but here's the point. If I'm looking for that, if, if I'm doing that to get the accolades, my heart's not in the right place. Right. And, and and what the gospel tells us is God demonstrates his love towards us while that we we're still sinners, Jesus came. He didn't wait for us to get all together. He still came to give his life for us. So it's a life that serves without the need to be recognized. What's another one? It's a life that's not self-seeking or self-promoting. It's a life that doesn't have to boast about my credentials and look at all I've done. It's a life that's not self-promoting. It's a life that's not self-seeking. It's a life that simply says, I want to serve wherever I can serve. It's a life that looks to benefit others at the expense of themselves. How do you know that you're truly serving with the heart of Christ when you expect nothing in return? Right. Listen, this is hard because we live in a world that says, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. And when someone does something purely, purely out of an act of grace, we're like, now we feel like we're indebted to them. Like we've got to do something to pay them back. See, a life of service says, no, I don't expect anything back. I'm purely doing this out of my gratitude for what Christ did for me when I didn't earn it or deserve it. See, that's when you know that the gospel is taking hold of your heart. See, when you truly serve, it will cost you something. And if it's not costing you something, then it's not service. See, a truly humble heart, someone that walks in humility and meekness, is serving not to get anything out of it, but is simply serving to glorify Christ in their life. Not wanting anything back. It's my gift. See, the body of Christ is gifted. When we truly understand what giftings are, it's not that I use my gifts so I can show them off. Or I don't use my giftings in order to get something back. I purely use my giftings as to edify the body of Christ so that Jesus gets the glory. That's the purpose of God in whatever way he's gifted you. is to edify the body, to unify the body, to encourage the body. And when we don't do it that way, that's when we begin to bicker we want it our way or this way. And then, we, and then those seeds of discord sow itself within the body of Christ that can easily pull away the fabric of the unity of Christ in our midst. But when we're truly serving each other, we are glorifying Christ. Jesus is getting the glory. And man, there's powerful things that happen in our midst when we do it that way. A self centered life, see, this is what James is coming against. A self centered life is a life that's in disarray. It's a life filled with selfish ambition and bitterness, James says. I love what the ESV study notes say here. Really, really insightful. It says selfish ambition, which James talks about, is a divisive willingness. Listen to what it says here a divisive willingness to split the group in order to achieve personal power. And prestige. Well, pastor, can that happen in the church? Yup. Been doing this way too long. It can. So what we do is through our own selfish ambition, there is this divisive willingness to split a group of people, to make camps, in order to achieve something for themselves and their own prestige. James says the way we kill that entitled attitude is through humility and meekness and serving the right way. See, what James says is godly wisdom is the complete opposite. Godly wisdom is the complete opposite. A wise person, he says, in fact, is peace loving, open to reason, open to correction, and gentle. They're not abrasive, they're not there to destroy. And blow up the relationship. Listen, you may be right in a discussion, but be wrong at the same time. Well, Pastor, what do you mean by that? How can I be right and wrong at the same time? You can be right in your dialogue or what happened, but if we blow up with a person or we talk abrasive to someone else and we don't have a Christ-like demeanor in the way we treat one another, then we're wrong. Can I get one amen? I just want to make sure anybody's out there. Okay, good. Listen, we've all been there because we allow our emotions to get in the way. And so what we do is our talk gets very abrasive and unchrist like and there's no meekness in that. Even when we're trying to correct someone or get our point across, we can be wrong if we're abrasive in the way we do it. The wise person is thinking, how can this lead to peace? How can this lead to reason? Am I being gentle and humble? Even in my words of correction, the wise person listens to the other person and is reasonable. The person that doesn't want to listen, the first thing they do is what? They cross their arms. I'm not going to listen to you, and we start digging our heels in. Oh yeah? Right? If you're this, you if you cross your arms when you're gonna get an argument, this means that you are not open to reason. You don't want to listen. Put your when you're arguing, just put your arms out like this. Okay, I'm open. Give it to me. I'm open to reason. See, here's the desire that James is pushing for. It's the desire to build bridges, not burn them down. The the desire is not to pick up my toys and then go home. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. The desire here is, are we striving for reconciliation? Because that's the heart of the gospel. Now, listen, that doesn't mean the other person is going to be receptive. That doesn't mean the other person is going to still be like this, but you've done your due diligence as to be a peacemaker and to own the side that you need to own and not just bury this relationship for the sake of just burying it because you don't care and never say you don't care. Just say, well, I don't care. I'm done. I don't care. The minute you say that, you close your heart. You close your heart. God cares. And the reason he cares is because he wants your life to be beautiful. Kalos. see, a truly wise person seeks to understand the other person's heart without prejudging them and just assuming their motives. We all do it. We just assume what their motives are without without ever asking the person what their motives are. Listen, the more secure you are in Christ, the less defensive you will become. And James tells us that wisdom from heaven, which comes from God, is pure, peace-loving, and gentle. The opposite is demonic and unspiritual. And what he's saying is this is the spirit of selfishness and disorder. And that will rip apart the church and rip apart relationships. We need wisdom in how we deal with one another. And we need to ask ourselves is what I'm doing leading to peace or am I actually causing disorder? Which is demonic and unspiritual. I'm I'm just, don't get mad at me. I'm just, this is what James says. Okay? Because at the root of peacemaking is humility that I have to humble myself. And I might be misunderstood. But I have to humble myself and realize if I'm going to walk down this road of meekness, then I need to do all I can to bring peace into this relationship. That doesn't mean the relationship is always going to be the same, especially if it's a friendship relationship. I'm not, it's not what I'm talking about. But you've done everything you can to reconcile it. Because the heart of Christ is at stake here. The integrity of the church... Listen, this is this is and I'm speaking myself because sometimes we worry more about our offense and how we were offended than what is doing to the church. And what I need to do is I need to forgo my offenses sometime, as for the betterment of the church. Because Jesus' heart is at stake. And the unity of the church is at stake. And sometimes I need to hum myself and say, you know what? Maybe I was right, but oh, I handled this was wrong. And I'm sorry. Because what's at stake here is not just me that I got def- offended or you said something to me. But what's at stake here is I want to keep the integrity of the church. Because Jesus' name is at stake right now. Not just Barden, It's not about me. I've got to get out of the way sometimes. Romans 14, Paul deals with two groups of people that are fighting about whether or not meat was offered to idols or not in the temple. And you know what he says? He says, do everything that leads to mutual edification. Don't put a stumbling block in front of your brother's way. Don't allow your liberties to be a stumbling block to someone else. If, if that's not a problem for you, then eat your meat in private and enjoy it. By the way, I had such a good lamb chop last night. Oh, my gosh. Let's talk about that for a minute. That was so good. Delicious. Grass-fed, mint on the side, little mint jelly. It was just so good. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, now want to go eat the other one this afternoon. Listen, let's not, what, what, what Paul's point here is, what are we doing to edify each other? Not, not bicker and fight over these little things that we're putting stumbling blocks in each other's way. But what are we doing to mutually edify each other? So maybe I need to forgo some of my stuff and my preferences as for the betterment of the whole body. Am I leading to peace Is what I'm doing leading to peace or am I causing disorder? And so at the root of peacemaking is humility. Matthew 9 10, Jesus says this Blessed, happy are what? The peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. God's hand and blessing are on those who walk in humility and walk towards reconciliation. Listen, church, because that's the heart of the gospel message. We who were enemies with God are now friends with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on behalf of his heavenly father. So when I'm doing that, I'm pleasing God. I'm forgoing my rights, my preferences, my will, in order for the protection of the body. This is the heart of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, I know this was not a whip do doo day message. I know this was a hard message. But listen, we need to hear this as the church. And I'm, I'm so thankful when I see you and I hear stories of you reconciling with other people. I love hearing that because what it shows me is that you're doing everything possible to follow the will of God. And I love hearing that. And I want to challenge you to continue to do that. I want to challenge you as as people of living word, if you call this your home church, to pray for our church. And when I mean pray, I mean pray. Like, God, keep our church unified. We may have disagreements, but help us to talk through our disagreements in love and encouragement and working towards peace and reconciliation. Help us not to add to being divisive and talking behind each other's back that can only lead to, to things that can lead to strife and, and, and give a foothold to the enemy. Let us not talk about people, but, but I love this Bob Goff. He says, don't talk about people, talk to people. Let, let's be people that talk to each other when we don't agree. That's all about relationship building. Let's do that. Let's do everything possible to keep the fabric and the integrity of living word intact. And we do that by walking in humility with each other and caring about each other. Amen? You still love me? I love you guys. I know it's a tough word, but we need to hear it, church. We need to do all we can to guard. If you don't think the enemy's out there and wanting to destroy what God is doing, then we're crazy. We've got our head in the sands. So we need to do all we can to heed these words because James was all about the church and keeping and protecting the body of Christ because the message of Christ is is at stake. So, I'm going to leave you with this. Are you beautiful? Are you beautiful? You all look marvelous, like I said earlier, but are you beautiful meaning kalos? Are you beautiful by your good life? Let it be seen in how you treat one another. Let wisdom from above guide your heart in Christ Jesus. So Father God, we just bow our hearts before you. Lord, I'm sorry when I've missed it with people and I've allowed my offenses to get in the way. Lord, I pray that you would humble us through the precious sacrifice of Jesus today, that Lord, some of us are here and we're hurting because of relationships. Maybe something that was done to us, something that we've done to add to a relationship, but Lord help us to forgive and not allow that root of bitterness to take hold of our heart because it's unspiritual and it's demonic and it, it can only lead to waywardness. God help us in Jesus name to, to, to forgive to do our best to reconcile to do our best to be peacemakers not not just because it will bless us but because it blesses your church because it ultimately glorifies christ so help us to see beyond ourselves and to look to christ and christ alone that's his name and our witness of him that matters the most So help us in this, Lord, by the way we apologize to each other, by the way we treat each other, that our lives will be beautiful in Christ Jesus by our good deeds in him. So help us today, I pray. Help us. And I pray for anyone here that just needs to reconcile, that needs to take that first step, I pray you'd give them the boldness to do it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All God's children said. Amen.